Welcome to The Aggressive Life. So glad to be with you. Glad that you're having me with you. Normally, I'm in here with a guest. We've decided for the month of July to not have a guest because you're just going to hear from me, which could be good, could be bad. We'll see. I'm just going to be bring some of my more aggressive talks that I've given from the previous year that we've recorded. And today... We're going to head to a place called Couples Camp. It's a primitive camping experience that I helped start with some others and help lead in Southeast Ohio. Back in April, I joined about 1,000 people, 500 couples who gathered for a weekend of sleeping in tents, pooping in the woods, and investing in their most important relationship, that of their spouse. You know, marriage is a it's a place that I see people again and again going passive. We just drift into these habits, drift into patterns. We justify them. We procrastinate about them. When our marriage isn't going well, we're the victim. It's always the other person. They're not valuing me. They're not doing this. If he would just do this, if she would just do that. No marriage gets ahead into new territory doing that. None. You might not be married. Great. Listen to this now. So before you get freaking married, you have an understanding of what you're in for. This is not a 50-50 proposition where we're both doing 50-50. And if you're not doing your 50, then, you know, things aren't well. No, it's 100-100 is what marriage is. And if the other person's doing 100, you do 100. You put it in. That is the way great marriages eventually get built. If you've got more information on Couples Camp, you can go to crossroads.net slash couples camp. Let's get out to camp right now. You know, one of the things that's true about every marriage is that no two marriages are the same. Everyone's got different gifts in here. Everyone has a different uh, pattern with their spouse. Every spouse and every man, every woman has different spiritual gifts, different temperaments, different personality types, different backgrounds. And this means that every single marriage is going to look a little different. And you can sit around a campfire and you can learn from other marriages, but you also can start going, man, I'm a loser. We don't do that. I'm... I'm not like that. I, 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 wow. You know, I, I feel like all, all the time with Lib when we were around other really great couples, Judd and Danny, we spend a lot of time with. And um, it's like, or if I'm away on a motorcycle trip or a trip with guys and then they, guys start calling their, their wives, I'm like, how do you talk on the phone for like 20 minutes straight? <laughs> I don't understand it. What, what, what do you talk about? I... I call up Lib. How you doing? Good, good, good. How was your day? It was good. We, we got out and saw some good stuff and had a great time. Guys were laughing. It was good. Um, how, how about you, hon? How's things going? Good, good. Um, got stuff buttoned up around the house. And, okay. Um, how's Peanut? Peanut, yeah, Peanut had a good day. Great, great. Good. <laughs> good to hear about Peanut. Okay, love you guys. We'll talk tomorrow. Okay, good. And that's like it. That's like it. And we have a good marriage. We've been going for 30-some years. But we can hear what some people do, how they talk. You're going to hear somebody else, and you're going to think, I'm not doing that. Hey, God is doing something in you and your marriage. doesn't matter where you've been. doesn't matter where you are. You're all here to get to the next level. Isn't that great? 
So I found this true story. There was a uh, group of women who were, who were sitting around having a little bit of a, a retreat with one another. And, and then they were challenging one another, saying, when was the last time you told your husband that you love them? When's the last time? So they all decide just to text their husband at that moment, just text to them, I love you, sweetheart. And here's the, the, here's the actual, this is a real story because we get these in pastor circles. Here's the exact, the exact responses that came back from these guys after they got a random text that said from their wife, I love you, sweetheart. One was, who the hell is this? <laughs> Another one, hey, mother of my children, are you sick or what? <laughs> yeah, and I love you too. What's wrong? <laughs> what now? Did, did you wreck the car again? <laughs> I don't understand what you mean. <laughs> what the hell did you do now? Are you sure this is for me? The other one, if you don't tell me who this message is actually for, someone will die. Uh, your mother is coming to stay with us, isn't she? And then the last one, I thought we agreed you wouldn't drink during the day. <laughs> what I want to do right now, and we're going to continue to do it throughout our couples camp experience, but right now is I just want to hit the reset button on exactly what marriage is, what it exists for. Because there is a lie that exists that causes many of our marriages to struggle. And this lie is this, that your marriage is meant to make you happy. You don't need to laugh that, that loud. Jeez. The lie is that the point of marriage is to make you happy. The lie is the point of marriage is supposed to be romanticism 4.0. The lie is that marriage is the thing and happiness in your marriage defines whether or not your marriage is going the right direction. And why do I say this? This is the Hollywood narrative. The Hollywood narrative tells us if everything is easy, if everything isn't perfect, and if you found your soulmate, it should be all just bubblegum and kisses all day long. And when you don't have that, something is wrong. And that's why People aren't getting married in our culture, and that's why people aren't staying married, and that's why when people are in marriage, especially us who've come here for some sort of Christian message, we have our wires crossed because we don't really understand what marriage is. One of the more profound books I read uh, a, lot, a lot of years ago, and I don't remember all that much about the book, but I just remember the title and the subtitle. The, the, the title of the book is called Sacred Marriage by Gary Thomas. And the subtitle on the cover was, what if marriage is made to, what if marriage is to make us holy and not happy? What if marriage is to make us holy and not happy? What is marriage? We have the very beginning of the book, the book of Genesis. It starts right off with the most important stuff, that God's the creator, that he does what he does. And then it says this, 
Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So men and women are created to represent God. We're created to be like God, actually here on this world when we're together. Now, the next chapter of Genesis, Genesis chapter 2, 18, it puts it this way. Then the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper for him. Another way to put this in different translation is, I will make a partner for him. This doesn't mean men's the king of all that is, and the woman comes along to be his personal secretary. This idea of helpmate is that a guy is one way, a woman is the other way, and a guy isn't even like other guys, and a woman isn't even like other women. There's such a thing as alpha females. When a man and a woman come together in marriage, they, they offset one another. They, uh, they complement one another. They do for one another what the other one can't do. That's the beauty of marriage. It's amazing. Makes us partners. We're not sex objects. We're not caregivers to our children, our co-partner. This person isn't our provider. This person isn't even our friend. They're our own flesh. They are one. I'm a little jealous of those of you who say your spouse is your best friend. She's my best friend. He's my best friend. A little jealous because that's great. That's really, really great. And I, I, I wish I could say that. And I wish Libby could say that. We've talked about this. We can't say that. We can't say that for a variety of reasons. I believe in marital intimacy, but there's just some things that I can tell my guy friends, not that I couldn't tell my wife, but she wouldn't inherently understand it like other guys can. And on top of that, I don't like to, I don't want to even, we're friends, but we're something much deeper and much more sacred and holy than friends. She's actually my own flesh. When a man and woman comes together in marriage, and it says this in the Bible, you leave and cleave, you leave your old life and you cleave to your spouse and we, when we have sexual intercourse, we become one person. All the angles, all the parts are made to fit together. And when they fit together, God's blessed it that sex feels great. But what sex primarily is, is it's a physical example that I am now one with this person because spiritually I'm one with this person. And here's the other really crazy, crazy thing. It's not just that I'm actually one with this other person. That actually mirrors what God's trying to tell us is that we're actually one with God. Because the relationship that God has to us is mimicked in a marital relationship of a man and a woman being fully committed to one another for the rest of our lives, just like God is fully committed to us for the rest of eternity. And men and women are made in the image of God. And so this marital union communicates something about God that he is committed to us. Now, let me ask you this. Is God always happy with us? No. no. Does God always have this romantic, oh, I just love how that person is 
rebelling against me, and I just feel these wonderful romantic feelings. Does God, does God, would God tell us that we are his best friend? No, that would be Jesus and the Holy Spirit with the Father, best friends. And so the things that we interact with, if we can shift in our mind that there's something happening between me and my spouse that should be happening with me and my God, that is the beginning to marriage going to the next level. Let me, re let me read this for you. Ephesians 5, chapter 31 to 33 says this. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is the New Testament reiterating what happens in the book of Genesis. And here it is. And this mystery is profound. You're like, oh, that is a profound mystery. Like two people becoming one and intercourse and one flesh shows they're one. But then he goes like this. No, that's not the mystery I'm talking about. He says, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. The mystery is that Jesus weds himself to us. Jesus is known as the bridegroom and the church is known as the bride. Now, I don't necessarily as a dude like being referred to as a bride, but apparently I'm a part of one big wedding dress family where we're all women, <laughs> where we are the bride to Jesus who is the bridegroom. This is a mystery. What does it mean that God weds himself to me? This is why when someone is unfaithful in a marriage, sexually unfaithful, the Bible gives an out that says, if you want to end your marriage, you can marriage. That's one of the outs for getting a divorce. Biblically, one of the, one of the mandated, not mandated, one of the approved of outs. But, but, we always have to remember that I'm unfaithful to God all the time and he doesn't divorce me. In fact, one time he has a prophet by the name of Jose. He says, I want you to go out and I want you to get that prostitute. Her name is Gomer. I'm not sure how many guys you could score with a name like Gomer, but go out and go out and have Gomer. Everyone knows she's a town prostitute, Jose, and I want you to wed her. I want you to be married to her because I want the nation of Israel to see that I'm faithful to the nation of Israel even when the Israel, nation of Israel isn't faithful to me. God is faithful to us even when we prostitute ourselves to things that aren't him even though we give our primary affections to things that aren't Jesus, when we give our primary affections to motorcycles and our business and our primary affections, yes, even to our kids. When our kids become our primary affections and we're more upset about losing our kids than what if I actually lose my relationship with God, there's infidelity that's happening between us and God. And you know what? He hangs in there with us. What if marriage is meant to make us holy and not happy. You see, our form of love in our core and cultural context in marriage is romanticism. It should be a Hallmark movie every day. We should just have flutters in my, 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 my stomach all the time. It should just, oh, it just be amazing high after high. And then when you come into a thing like this, you're thinking like, if I'm not feeling that for my spouse, maybe we're in crisis. No, maybe you're just in marriage. <laughs> the, see, the problem with this romantic lie in our culture is that romanticism shatters. Just like that, it shatters. But love flexes. Love gives and takes. Romanticism comes and goes. It shatters. 
We can't handle it. One thing goes wrong, boom, it's gone. But love is flexible. It, it, it moves with it. One of the things I like about the Bible is that it is sometimes beautifully vague. There's things in the Bible that it says that it doesn't actually describe. Like in the New Testament, the apostle Paul talks about his thorn in the flesh. He says, I have a thorn in the flesh and I prayed to God to take it away and he just won't take it away, a thorn in the flesh. And I love that we have no idea what that thorn is. Like some people said, well, maybe it's his bad eyesight and he has somebody writing the letters that become the New Testament for him. Maybe it was, but we don't know. And you know what that means? That means we can all get something out of that verse because I know every single person here has at least one thorn. And please don't tell your spouse that they are your thorn. Don't. <laughs> but I promise you this, there is something in your spouse that's a thorn to you. See, all of us have something going on in our life that just won't end, just, w just won't go away. Maybe it was the abuse incident when we were five and we think we're over it, we think we're healed and then we see a five-year-old and we're taken back immediately. Maybe it was the bankruptcy that we can't get over. Maybe, maybe it is our bad back that just flares up out of nowhere and just knocks us down. Maybe it is memories of something that took place in our background. Maybe it was, a, maybe it was something our dad told us and we just can't get over it. Maybe it's who knows what it is. But part of being in a holy union is that we learn to live with the thorns of the person who's with us. I have, uh, I'll tell you, one of my, one of my wife's uh, thorns, or one of my thorns rather to, to live, is um, I fixate on things, like deep dive fixate on things. Someone told me a couple of weeks ago that one of our uh, close staff member friends said, yeah, I think you're ADHD. I was like, what are you talking about? You're on crack. What did you say? I can't remember what you said. <laughs> he said, uh, yeah, you, uh, you've had to have an unbelievable amount of focus, and that's oftentimes what happens with ADHD. You find something, you focus on it, and you've really been able to focus on things and, and help build crossroads. I, like, eh, I hadn't thought about that before. Well, maybe. I'll think about that. I had, a, I had a Jeep when I was in college, the 1978 CJ7 Jeep. And I, I sold it after about a year because I couldn't afford the gas. It was a V8 with full-time four-wheel drive. I got eight miles to the gallon. I had to, drive, I had to drive uphill to Robert Morris College up Narrows Run Road. And at least once a week, I ran out of gas, left on the side of the road. and had to walk to class and figure out how to get it back. And so I had to sell it. And when I sold it, a guy came and bought it. And I remember as a 20-year-old, as that thing was leaving, or maybe I was 19, 20, as that thing was leaving the parking lot, I said to myself, someday I'm going to have that vehicle again, and I'm not going to stress out about gas. So I've been on the search for 1978 CJ7 for a long, 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 long time. And I found them, but there's been times when I just haven't been able to afford it, so I haven't bought it. And what do you know, a friend of mine was over at some, some guy's house and in his basement, he had a 1978 CJ7 been sitting there for five to 10 years, halfway through restoration. And uh, so I bought it. I, bought, I brought it home a couple, a couple weeks ago and uh, Lib was not excited about it actually. Now, 
We had talked about this. She knew this was a dream of mine. She knew this was a, we had talked about it, but when it was there, she was like, I'm gonna lose you to the garage. I'm a thorn, it's a thorn for me. Like I get in, I get, I get something in my teeth, I just won't let it go. You know, I just, I wanna, it's a, she's never going to be married to a husband who doesn't get fixated on things. She's just not, it's not gonna happen. In fact, if she ever, if I ever become not fixated on something, she's gonna be really concerned probably. There's just something she's gotta live with. And this is the way it is with all of us. There's probably something in them that you, we're gonna have to learn how to deal with. And this is part of the spiritual formation. That's what Paul is saying. He says, there's a thorn stuck in me, but I am going to be dependent on Christ. I'm gonna learn contentment in all circumstances. I have to learn with this thing that it's not about the thing, it's about me and God. And with our marriages, we have to learn it's not about the thing, it's about me and my spouse and what it means to me and God. Hebrews 13, four says, let marriage be held in honor among all. All, that means including single people, even though single people, many of them will not get married, they're supposed to hold marriage in honor. What are they talking about? The institution of marriage. This thing where a man and a woman represent God, where God weds himself to us, and that is so mind-blowing to me. And the more I fixate on my side-to-side marriage, and the less I understand the vertical relationship with God, the more this side-to-side thing is gonna break down because the marriage that makes sense here only makes sense, first of all, because this makes sense. Couples camp, couples camp, we sign up because it's really, we think about us and our spouse, but really what it's about, it's about us and our marriage with God. And when you get into a couple relationship with God, which by the way, do you have romantic feelings towards God? Some do, but I don't. I don't have romantic feelings. In fact, many of the worship songs that people write, these lovey, gooey, gooey, I want to gaze in your face and touch your face. You're so beautiful, Jesus. That's weird, man. It's really, it's really weird. No disciple ever looked at Jesus. Oh, you're so beautiful. I want to touch your face. What a beautiful name you are. Well, no, it's weird, man. It's really weird. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying for me and at least 50% of the population, that's weird. Because again, it's this romanticism thing, this romantic thing I have with Jesus, this romance. And Jesus doesn't have a romance with us. He died for us. <laughs> he, laid his, he laid his life down for us. If I were God, if I were God, what I would want to do is I would want to dummy proof for all of my children, for all of creation, what my nature is. And so you, you know what I might do? I might create two people who complement one another who are to be one, but yet they're different, similar to in the Trinity, where there's Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They complement one another, yet they're different. I would wanna do that and bring them together to model who I am, who my identity is as God, that I wed myself to other people, and these people wed themselves in a covenant community, and this is who I am. And if I was Satan, if I was the arch enemy of God that wants to do nothing other than throw black paint on God's beautiful oil canvas, I would come down and I would wage a holy or unholy war on all marriages. I would want people in marriages to not understand marriage, to think that it's hallmark on drugs, on steroids. I would want people to, in marriage to think it's all about them and all about their happiness. 
I would do everything I can to rip marriages apart. And this is why marriage is so devastating. It's not, or excuse me, why divorce is so devastating. It's not just the pain of it. It's that spiritually something is torn asunder because when there's a divorce and there's a splitting, it's like there's a splitting in the identity of God. And we don't know this theologically, but this is why it's so devastating because it's really a divorce of cosmic consequences because the image of God is trying to be split. It's trying to be shattered. But when marriage is holy, and I see it as something deeper, as something better, as something brighter, something powerful takes place. Today's podcast is brought to you by Athletic Greens. It's a product I use every day. I started taking AG1 because I don't watch my diet too closely, but I know that I'm getting all the vitamins, minerals, and nutrients I can, as well as hydrating with 12 ounces of water right off the bat at the beginning of the day. One scoop of AG1 has got 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens, and it doesn't taste like it. It actually tastes great. AG1 is a micro habit with big benefits. For less than $3 a day, you can take care of your health and invest in your future. It's recommended by professional athletes, health experts, and me. (laughs) To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packets with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash aggressive life. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash aggressive life to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutrition insurance. So go get you some and let's get back to the show. The moment you stop looking to your marriage to be the source of your happiness is the moment your life will start to go forward. Let me say that again. The moment you stop looking at your marriage as the source, the ultimate source of your happiness, that's the moment your life can go forward. And this is why we tend to be bitter. She's not doing that. He's not doing that. They're not doing this. They're not doing that. What we're thinking, what we're saying is, until you behave the way I want you to behave, I can't be happy. Because it's really all about me and all about my happiness. I love a story that uh, Judd told me uh, one time. He was uh, on a job site as a drywall contractor. He had to make sure that you knew he was a drywall contractor, not a staff member of Crossroads, given the language he uses from stage. (laughs) Told me he was at a job site once. He was at a job site once, and this hot, hot little thing comes walking by. He's, you know, there in the morning, and some, you know, some good-looking woman comes by, and he's, he's looking at her. He's, he's noticing, he's admiring, like, mm, wow. And then, and then he like dawns on him. He goes, that woman is with some guy and some guy somewhere is sick of her shit too. <laughs> it, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter how good looking we are, how things are. We're with somebody, either married or dating, that is bothered by something in us that shows the just fallacy of thinking that if that person would just change, if that person, then I would be happy. And then we get bitter. 
because they're not doing what I want them to do. And then we get bitter towards God. Why did you put me this person? I don't feel like this isn't my soulmate. I mean, just, there is no such thing as a soulmate. It's that there's no such, there's not a single verse in the Bible that speaks to soulmates. There's not a single time in the Bible where there's like two people that are like, oh, magically, oh, I feel in my stomach, you're the one, not a single one. And probably you all know this, but I'm just kind of speak truth on you because the cloak of evil and of darkness and of delusion, it just covers on us. It smothers us. It's not there at all. Nowhere is it there. Isaac is looking to get married or Abraham is looking to get Isaac married. Abraham has this amazing vision that's given to him by God. You're going to start the nation of Israel. You're going to be just an amazing, mighty thing. He's got his first son in whom the promise is. And he sends his servant out to go find a wife for Isaac. And he finds Rebecca. And the servant says, God, how do I know that this is the one? He says, I know how I know it's the one. It's going to be whichever woman volunteers to give me water. Because if she volunteers for that, she has a work ethic. And Rachel comes up and says, sir, can I draw water for you? And not just you, can I draw water for your camels? Camels, when they're filling up, they'll do like 150 gallons when they're filling up. And he goes, that's the one. That's the one. Not like, give me the soulmate, give me the one that's going to be attractive to my master's son. I need to find somebody who understands work. I need to understand somebody who was willing to go through grueling difficulty, who's willing to draw gallon after gallon after gallon of water and does it voluntarily, whose answers to a higher authority other than how she feels right now. And when you, when you get a guy who's driven by his feelings or you get a woman who's driven by her feelings, feelings are great, feelings are awesome. I wish I had more of them. I'm getting more of them as I age as a man. I am. But we just have to recognize our feelings are not the call of God. Our feelings aren't the thing that are meant to make us happy, which is why so few of us are ever happy because our feelings are so fickle. But when we see that God may have looked over all creation, all creation. This was told at my wedding. It's one of the more powerful things I ever heard. Uh, a, a woman that mentored Lib gave this illustration on our it's, wedding. It's always stuck with me. God got up and he looked over all creation and he said, who is it that I can bless my son with? And God got up and looked over all creation and said, who is it that I can bless my daughter with? And he chose Brian. For Libby, and he chose Libby for Brian. And what Gene Yonicus was talking about there wasn't God found two soulmates and put them together who God had wired that. She was saying, the attitude of my mind as a husband and the attitude of Lib's mind as a wife is we have to believe that God has placed this person in my life to make me holy to scrub selfishness out of me. We all know that single people are more selfish than married people. Do we not all know that? No, I mean, seriously, you just, maybe if you're single a year ago, you know this, right? Because you're less selfish now because you're doing things you have to do. <laughs> because you can't just think about yourself, you have to think about somebody else. Character formation is happening in you right now because of that. 
the holiness process of getting closer and closer to God is happening right now when we serve one another. Mm, I'm going to start crying right now. I forgot about this dear couple here. This dear brother right here is signing for his wife. It's a one-on-one. It's a one-on-one signing session. One-on-one the whole time. Do you think he minds that he's signing everything for his wife, all couples camp, and whenever people around you don't know sign language? Do you, do you think he might? I, maybe he, I don't, I, I don't think so, actually. He looks very happy right now. <laughs> he just went like this. No, he's, he's gotten used to serving his wife. And this is an obvious way he's serving her, I promise you there's obvious ways she serves him other than this. And they've made that. I don't know them at all. I just see the the radiance in their faces. They've made it not about the limitation. They've made it about how they get closer to God by serving one another. How they get closer to God by doing for one another what God does for them. That's why that song gets me that we sang earlier. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. And my voice cracks, not, not just because I don't have a good voice, but I'm starting to, I get, honestly, I get emotional when I think about how faithful God's been to me. When I think about how he adopted me, I got adopted into an earthly family. How I think about the times that I literally should have died How many of us can remember times you should have died? You know? Think about the times I should have died. Crawling under a bus as a second grader to get a can that I would always throw under the the wheels and see it leave. And I got off the bus, I took a can, and I threw it, and I threw it too far, and I crawled all the way in with my, just a second grader, crawled all the way in, grabbed that can, came back, as I came back to throw it in, the tie went by and brushed my knuckles. I think that was God. I think that was God pausing the the bus driver for just a moment, you know. Faithfulness of God to give me a wife who's helped me understand the tenderness of God that I never understood, even from my own mother. She just blows me away with with her tenderness, her servant attitude like I've never seen before. The faithfulness of God of delivering her and healing her of a stroke. The faithfulness of God while she's done things that have hurt me and I've done things that have hurt her, and yet we still sense the faithfulness of God because we're still together. I I could go on and on and on and on, but that song, it's like when it reorients my heart towards God, my marriage with my wife gets really easy. When I'm thinking about me and my wife and her making me happy and her doing what I need her to do and she's not doing this and she's not doing that, that marriage will always lose, always, because it's too earth-centric. It's too romantic. It's too hallmark. And we're for romance, to be very clear. We're gonna have wine time uh, tonight. That's not when you whine at your your spouse either, by the way. 
It's when you're, we're going to give you a bottle of wine or a bottle of non-alcoholic wine and give you a little bit of romance. Romance is wonderful. And I like to feel the feels and great sex is wonderful and happiness is wonderful. I'm pro-happiness. Be real clear. I think we don't talk about happiness stuff. I'm pro-happiness. But I'm saying is this, if we're going into our marriage thinking it's about happiness, we're never going to get happy because we're never going to get to God. We're just going to be judging the one who's not doing what I need to have to be happy. And then we're going to get bitter. Bible says, let, low, let, let no root of bitterness grow up because it will defile you. Our marriages are defiled in here. Many of them are because bitterness have crept in because we had a bad and warped matrix of what marriage is supposed to be, which is supposed to be the happiness bus. That's not what it's meant to be. Let marriage be held holy and honored by all, by all. Paul Simon had that song out. Even if you're in your 20s or 30s, you probably heard it. 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover. Remember that song? There must be 50 ways to lead your lover. Just slip out the back, Jack. Make a new plan, Stan. No need to be coy, Roy. Just get yourself free. We'll hop on the bus, Gus. No need to discuss much. Just drop off the keys, Lee, and set yourself free. You will never, ever, you will never, ever run out of reasons to be disenfranchised with your spouse. You will never run out of reasons of why they're not doing what they should be doing, why they aren't who they are, why that you'll never run out of reasons. Our culture will pour gas, they'll write songs about it, and make them sound happy songs. Happy songs that we all can quote. It's like we've been brainwashed. Yeah, 50 ways to leave your, yeah, absolutely, I'm gonna leave my lover. Yeah, absolutely. Let me tell you this. There's only one reason, one reason you would ever stay. His name is Jesus Christ. Only one. Uh, you, you give me 50 ways to leave it. I'll just give you one. There's just one reason to stay. Lord Jesus Christ, who's laid down his life for you. By this, we know love, that he laid down his life for us. By the way, him laying down his life for us, that was not a romantic act. There was no act of romance when Jesus died on the cross. In fact, he was sweating blood before he was taken away. But that's how we know what love is because love isn't primarily feelings. Love primarily isn't emotion. Love is me putting on my shoes, my big boy pants and going, today I need to be Jesus to my wife. Today I need to lay down my life for her. And today her putting on her big girl panties and saying, today I need to be Jesus to Brian. Because that's love. When I lay down my life, I lay down my rights all the Bible is about laying down your rights. Jesus laid down his rights. When uh, in Philippians chapter two, God who being one with God did not cling, did not cling to all the basically divine prerogatives, but emptied himself. Jesus laid down his, his rights when he came to earth from heaven. He laid down his rights and he sweat blood. He was so stressed out about it and he went to the cross and yet he did. Are you willing to sweat blood for your spouse? Are you willing to get nailed on a cross for your spouse? Are you willing to give up your rights? I had to talk with him and say, hey, do you want me to not buy this Jeep? If you, if you, if you don't want me to do this Jeep, I'm gonna give, this has, been a, this has been a dream and a vision I've had for 30 whatever years. 
if you, if you want me to lay this down and to give it up, I'll give it up. Do you want me to give it up? Thankfully, she said no. But I, I, I wasn't bluffing. And I understood it because I get lost in the garage sometimes and I don't meet her needs and, and I don't lay my life down for her. And you know, I just was very assumptive. There's a time to get married with Christ, a time when we give our life to him. A time, just like there's time you, you put on the wedding band and you say, I'm going to declare before all people right now in public, I'm gonna declare I'm going to marry my spouse. That's what the wedding ring is. There's a time where you declare your love and you give your life to Christ. You get wedded to Christ. And just because you came to couples camp, a church thing, doesn't mean you've actually been wedded to Christ. Maybe I said something today that made you go, wow, that's what being a Christian is. It's not just a new higher form of morality. It's not just a bunch of set of beliefs I have to check off on. It's I'm going to enter into a covenantal relationship with a God who's created me and I'm gonna do life with him. Yeah, that's what a believer is. I just wanna make sure you understand what we're talking about. It doesn't mean you're gonna have an easy life. It doesn't mean you're not gonna feel like he stepped out on you, feel like he stepped out on you. It doesn't mean you're going, not going to deal with things that are gonna rock you to their core. It doesn't mean you're going to be happy the rest of your life, but it means that there is a backstop, there is a contentment, there is a well that you are tapping into, there is a source of faithfulness that is always there for you and is upholding, in fact, has been upholding you before you came here this weekend. You're here because he brought you here. Never will he leave you. Never will he forsake you. He's the greatest spouse anybody could ever think of and imagine. So we're going to spend some time with him alone. Justin's going to do a song for us. Just I want us to sit us in this, sit us in this holy moment, if you will. There's a holy moment here today. I think for some of us, like things have like unlocked. Like oh, this isn't going to be. Uh, this is going to change. This is not going to change everything in the next five minutes. But hmm. I've been on the Hallmark movie channel train for too long instead of on the Bible train. I've been on the ways of this world romanticism instead of the ways of, the ways of heaven of love, deep, abiding, sacred, never-ending, difficult love. And we're gonna sit in that alone. We're gonna have solitude time. Just spend some time with him and, and see what he does and, uh, and honor everybody else by being silent, and then we're gonna ring the bell after that, and we're gonna have lunch. So just you and God, have a nap, have prayer time, go through that book, and um, just get refreshed. I think he wants to pour into you. So Justin, go ahead and get us ready. Hey, thanks for listening. For all things aggressive living, why don't you head over to bryantome.com find my new book, Move, a guide to get up and go forward, as well as articles and much, much more. And no matter where you listen to podcasts, why don't you take a second and leave us a rating, leave us a review. It really, really helps us drive new listeners to the show. We want to help as many people as possible, just like we may have helped you. We want to help others. So why don't you help us out? And if you want to connect, find me on Instagram at Brian Tome. Aggressive Life with Brian Tome is a production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio.